to the MEC English Service Podcast. For more resources or information about our church, Mideast Evangelical Church, visit mec.church. Oh, that sounds like it's working. Hello. Oh, um, all right. The joy basket has made its way around the room. Um, if everyone could stand, I'm going to read the passage that Chris will be speaking from today. Um, so the passage is 1 Peter 1, 3 through 12. Praise be to God and Father of our, Jesus, of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. The inheritance is kept for you in heaven, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by the fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end of your results of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the suffering of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of things that have now been told to you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Thanks, Fadi. Hopefully this mic continues to work. It seems to be having a day. All right. <laughs> so those of you who were with us last week, we started off a series. Oh, this is the one that dances. Watch. Look at dances. Um, for those of you... <laughs> All right. Oh, now it's stuck. Um, wait, hold. Now I have to dance. Okay. Wait. Wait for it. And... No. Uh, oh, okay. Um, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Let's pray. You know, um, <laughs> the end. Um, so for those of you who were with us last week, we started um, our series through First Peter, and we literally only camped out in the, those two verses that were those intro verses of First Peter. Um, and by the way, if you're the type of person that likes to follow along in Scripture, First Peter, um, what he just read, First Peter 1, 3 through 12, is where we're going to be camping out today. Now, if you look at First Peter... Um, 1, 3 through 12, it's two long blocks of paragraphs. I mean, to sort of illustrate what's going on, I guess, grammatically, because everyone's favorite thing to do is grammar, to understand what's going on grammatically, um, I'm going to give you another illustration. This is a sentence that I wrote. I want you to tell me what is wrong with this sentence. There was a bug on my kitchen floor. I looked at it and realized it was an earwig. Seji saw the pinchers on it and asked if it bites. I reassured her that they are not really dangerous. That is my sentence. What's wrong with this sentence? punctuation is missing. What else? It's a run-on sentence. Is that bad? 
why? Right, okay, so like, you, you're, some of you are the student that like raise your hand and like, yes, I know the answer. Um, but let's be the student that raises their hand um, and say, and like, I feel like this is a you thing. Um, like, why, why is it wrong to have a run-on sentence? Like, what even makes it wrong? Who's to say that it's wrong, guys? The rules of grammar. And like, so the gods of grammar came down and said, they wrote the grammar Bible called the MLA um, manual. Um, and, and they said, you shall not write run-on sentences. Why? Why are run-on sentences wrong? Think about it. What's wrong with it? Okay, the reader might have trouble separating the thoughts out. Yeah, thank you. That's very nice. Um, yeah, so if you're just reading this, especially if there's no punctuation, right? If I added a couple commas, we would know that, okay, there's a bug on my kitchen floor. That's a thought. I looked at it and realized it was an earwig. That's a thought. Seji saw the pinchers on it and asked if it bites. That's like two thoughts but joined by an and. Um, I reassured her that they're not really dangerous. We have these separated thoughts, right? Um, the reason that there are rules to grammar is so that when we are communicating, the person who's receiving the communication understands that which we are communicating. So run-ons are bad, in a sense, because it might mess up a person's understanding of what is trying to be communicated. The reason I bring this up is because 1 Peter 1, 3 through 12, in the original Greek, is one epic run-on sentence. One, just this many sentences is what he just read. Remember how long it took? One sentence. Now, why do you think this might happen? Like, why would, why would they be cool with it and we wouldn't be cool with it? What might be different between us and them? If you like, it shouldn't take too long for you to think, okay, maybe, maybe our brains are actually structured a little bit differently than theirs. Like the way that they would be able to follow logic. Um, first of all, this was a, the vast majority of the people who were listening to this letter probably couldn't read, right? So the idea of commas and periods and all of that stuff would have been obsolete to them. Not only because Greek didn't have it, um, but also, or Koine didn't have it, but also because it would be listened to. Also, they weren't, their minds weren't, um, I guess, I don't want to say tainted, because I don't want to be judgy, um, but tainted um, by, by screens and, like, and quick consumable media. And so naturally, they could listen to First Peter 1, 3 through 12, and be like, I'm tracking. Yeah, this is one thought. And we watch it, and we're like, okay, period. What did that just say? Okay, next, period. What did that just say? So thankfully, the English translators added periods and commas and broke it into two separate paragraphs for us to understand. But it's important to note that to Peter, this is all one thought. That's why we didn't just do a, hey, we're just going to do the next two verses. Because to Peter, these two paragraphs are one thought that he wanted to communicate, right? Um, now, he's communicating through a scribe. Um, Sylvanus or Silas, it's some debate. Um, but nevertheless, this scribe would have been skilled in writing. And so this, some of the um, comment, commentators on but the Bible say that this is like the scribes like flexing by showing like, check out how long of a sentence I can do. I'm awesome. Um, okay, so this is 1 Peter 3 through, uh, 1, 3 through 12. And so where we get some guidance as to what's going on in this text is in the first couple of verses. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, our word of the day is berakah. Everybody repeat after me. Berakah. Um, 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, it's very similar to some wor- a word in Arabic, yes? Yeah, exactly. And it's blessing, right? So a barakah is a blessing. Um, this is what they would call, um, this is, the formula that Peter uses to start this off is a formal way of starting a blessing. Praise be, or if, if it was in Hebrew, it would be blessed be the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so what he's doing is he's about to say, God is really cool for the following reasons and follow my train of thought. So um, you'll notice that I underlined three different words that kind of tie this whole thing together. Resurrection, inheritance, and the coming salvation. Um, These are all like $5 Christian words, right? Like they're really big words. But what's interesting is like, I bet we could do like fun little Greek word studies and pick them apart and show how different these words are and how unique they are. But to the ancient reader, especially if they had any understanding of the Jewish story, they would think they would all be thinking about something similar. First of all, when um, an ancient first century Jew would hear the word resurrection, now, if they're a Christian, step one, they think of Jesus, which Peter is clearly referring to. But then step two, if they believed in an afterlife, what they called that afterlife was the resurrection, And so the fact that Jesus resurrected, um, this resurrection points to not only the fact that he resurrected, but it's meaningful because it points to the fact that we too will resurrect. There is something meaningful even beyond this. Um, The inheritance portion, yes, this is the thing that you get when your parents die. However, to the ancient Israelites, what did they inherit? When When we look through the Old Testament, it said that they inherited the promised land, right? That was their inheritance. It wasn't like someone died and they got an inheritance, but there's, there's this future promised land. And after the exile, after they carried off into slavery again, um, they, started to con- they continued to use this word of this inheritance, this new promised land, looking forward to this new day when this new thing would come. And this salvation was coming. The world is broken and salvation is on its way. We oftentimes think of salvation as like um, if you prayed a prayer at some point in your life, which I think that like that's a piece of like this bigger picture. But salvation, salvation is deliverance. It's being rescued from something. And so the ancient peoples, like they lived in a world where they had plenty of things that they needed to be rescued from. And they were looking forward to a future time when that rescue would happen, right? And so when he's talking about the resurrection, the inheritance, the coming salvation, all of these words would have made them think, oh, we're talking about like an awesome future time that we get to look forward to. Um, If any of you are connoisseurs of the Bible Project, um, the Bible Project, they produce these fun little videos. um, And all of it is looking forward to, there's this space that is God's space. And we use this word heaven, right? It's not like if you grew up watching cartoons, it's not this place in the clouds where people like strum harps. I always imagine a dinosaur strumming a harp because there was like a certain, I think it was a Daffy Duck um, cartoon. But anyway, um, it's not people in the clouds strumming on a harp, but rather it's, it's a different dimension, a different realm, a different zone where what God wants done is done. Now we live in a world where that stuff obviously isn't done. And so we look forward to a time when when the way that things are, are not anymore. And we look forward to a time where God's will, goodness, beauty, justice, love, all of those things have rule here. 
And so with this picture, this is what they're looking forward to. Now, um, if you're wondering, do you get any credit for the inheritance? Do you get any credit for the resurrection or for the coming salvation? All of the things that are said in this text are indicated that like God did it for us so that we could experience the resurrection. God did it for us so that we could experience the inheritance and the coming salvation, right? These things were made for us. So we don't get any credit for it. You following? Yeah. I know we just had it. Some of us just had a retreat, and so we're on fumes. Now, um, so I remember when I first heard about what God is going to do in the future, um, I had some mixed emotions, right? Um, I officially, like, accepted Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. You know that phrase? Um, I, accept, I officially did this in, on New Year's Day of 1995 um, because the pastor preached on hell, and it scared me um, so bad that I was like, I better pray this prayer because I don't want to burn. Um, and so I did that. Um, and then they talked about how wonderful heaven was going to be, this thing in the future. And for a little bit, like, I felt like, like that sustained me. I was like, there's going to be something really cool after I die. Awesome. But then um, that was when I was 10, and I'm currently 35. So for the last 25 years, um, yes, I have been thinking, yes, there's this awesome thing in the future, but I've also had to, like, go to school and get a job and, like, go to the bathroom and, like, do other things in the meantime, looking forward to this future event. And uh, what I've discovered is that the more, like, the, the way that we think about the future, affects our present. It's one thing to know like a future hope, and it's another thing to uh, live your life one way or another in light of that future hope. And I think Christmas is a really good example of this. When I was a kid, if, I, if it was Christmas Eve, how well do you sleep as a kid on Christmas Eve? You do not sleep very well. Why? Because you're excited. Because you want to get to the presence already. You're just waiting for the presence. So even though like you spent the whole day with your family making cookies and doing fun things and listening to music, like in the back of your mind, you're like, but presents tomorrow, but presents tomorrow, but presents tomorrow. And you totally miss the fact that today I got cookies, right? That today I got to experience fun time with my family. That today I got to play Uno, which I never play and everyone always ends up yelling anyway, so why do we still play it? Um, <laughs> but we... We get to experience all these fun things, but if, if, we're, if we have the nightmare, night, nightmare, the night before Christmas, wow, what's on my brain? Um, <laughs> if we have the night before Christmas mentality of the future, then we might miss all of the cool stuff going on around us. Also, it might shorten our temper, raise our anxiety. It might make us like less restful and peaceful because we're so anxious about this next thing that's coming afterwards, Right? However, as an adult, um, especially through my wife, like I feel like Katie does this really well during Christmas season, um, is it's, it's not, and like once you're an adult, like most of you might be here already, um, it's not about the presence on Christmas Day anymore. It becomes that it's a season, right? There is a season. There's a shift in the environment, in the atmosphere. And that shift in the environment, in the atmosphere comes because you know that Christmas is coming. Since Christmas is around the corner, I like walking around Victoria Gardens, right? But like when it's in the middle of summer, I'm like, it's Victoria, it's a mall, like it's, there's palm trees and it's hot. Um, but during Christmas time, 
it's Christmas time. They're playing songs I've heard a thousand times, but like I feel good about it because Christmas is coming. If it was not Christmas time, um, if someone cuts me off in the road um, at Victoria Gardens, and like, you know, in the, anyway, um, then uh, like, then I'm mad. I'm like, what is this jerk doing? Doesn't he know I have things to do? But if I'm just cruising because it's Christmas time, I'm going to be like, you know what? It's cool. It's Christmas. The way that we view the future or what we know about the future can be taken both ways. We can take the knowledge of the future inheritance, the future um, resurrection, the future coming of the kingdom, all of these futuristic things. We can take that and use it as an excuse to be anxious about like, ah, I just got to get out of this place. This place is a toilet, right? Like, ah, it's not that great. Like, man, um, I'm not really appreciating what's in front of me. Or we can instead say, wow, Christmas is coming. Resurrection is coming, right? I can have peace and enjoyment and let things slide because I know that Christmas is coming, because I know that the inheritance is coming. I think this is why, like, I think that God did it on purpose this way. Um, some, sometimes um, I'll talk with people, and I've even had this question before, like, what's the point? Like, why do we have to, like, go through this life and then die so that we can go do something else? Right, like it kind of seems like that's wasteful. Shouldn't we just like get one and like it's good? You know what I mean? But it kind of seems like God knows what he's doing. Because it's in knowing that there's something in the future that brings the meaning to the present. It's in knowing that there's something that comes after that allows us to shift our own perspective here and now. And it happens a lot of different ways. Um, And so one of the ways I want to... Hey, baby. Triste. Um, Yeah, that's sad. Okay, anyway. uh, Focus, focus, focus. There we go. Okay. Um, So, Teflon. In this, all you greatly... um, So this is why when Peter goes into this next section, he can then say this. Ready? In all this, you greatly rejoice... Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor. So run on sentence, etc., etc. Though you have not seen him, you love him even though you do not see him now. You believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Last week we talked about how this church... um, in this particular time, was experiencing persecution, right? And especially those who were in Rome, and it was on its way out of Rome um, to uh, other places, but especially those in Rome were experiencing intense persecution um, by the Romans because Nero used them as a scapegoat. And so they're going through a hard time, and Peter says, the fact that you have this future is your grounding, It's the thing that lets you know that what you're going through right now is going to be okay, or at least you can get some joy out of this experience. That this experience that you're going through right now is not the end. Since there is a future thing, you can go through this and actually have joy. When you know the end results ahead of time, it allows for the testing to be joyous rather than grievous. This is Craig Keener's words. So when you know the purpose of the testing, the testing ain't so bad anymore. 
if it's just a test for a test's sake, then you're like, why am I going through this? This is dumb. Why am I like having to struggle? But if you know that it's for a purpose, and not only like just any old purpose, but like a purpose that you think is important, then that test actually has meaning and significance. Um, it can happen that when you have a test, um, it actually has, it actually produces joy in you. Um, last year, I did one of the hardest things I've ever done. I mean, I ran a marathon. I may have talked about this like 8,000 times because I'm proud of myself, okay? Um, <laughs> so, but, like, whenever, like, some of you were like, how was it? And I was like, it was awful. And then, like, the next sentence is, it was awesome, right? Because, yes, my toes were bleeding at the end. Um, but it was, like, this, like, rewarding experience, like, even the training leading up to it, like, each, the first week, like, when you start with, like, eight miles, and then you, like, build up, like, and add miles, each week, I was like, that was one of the hardest things I've ever done, and then, like, toward the end of the training, it's like, these, these are the hardest things I've ever done, um, but when you know that I'm doing this, or when I knew that I was doing this because it was training me and making me ready to be able to do this other thing in the future, I was like, hey, this is kind of fun, this ain't so bad, it's not awful. I'm not torturing myself. I'm not a masochist, right? Like this, there is joy that you can get out of this type of experience. Um, in the, the analogy that Peter uses um, in being refined by the fire comes from like the gold smelting process or the silver smelting process. Have you ever, any of you ever smelted gold? No? Any smelters? I just want to say smelt. Smelt, smelt, smelt. Um, so... The gold smelting process is not something that we do a whole lot anymore. I, I w and by the way, they have like a lot of technology to make it even more complicated. I watched some YouTube videos thinking I could explain it, and then I was like, no. Um, and then there was like a primitive technology one that I'm like, still kind of no. Um, and so instead, um, I thought I would give you something that like is kind of like it. Um, does anybody have, I realize that I need water for this illustration, but I was in like a frantic rush. Is that a full hydro flask? Is that full also? I'll take this one. She's closer. Thank you. Um, you're all willing volunteers. So I grew up in an Asian household. It's semi-Asian, half-Asian household. Um, and we eat rice a lot. Many of us eat rice a lot. Um, but there's a rule in the Asian household. We, like, because I know that, like, um, everybody has their own thing of like, this is the way that you make rice. Our way of making rice is you put it in the rice cooker. Um, but there is one rule, because it seems like rice cooker... It seems pretty simple, right? Um, but if you don't do it right, it's not going to come out right. And the number one rule is you've got to wash the rice. Um, if you have um, a 50-pound bag of rice, by the way, and you store it for a long time, sometimes you get these little tiny black bugs that will get in there. Um, and so there's two reasons you wash the rice. One is it gets rid of some of that excess starch. Um, and when you rinse out the rice, it turns like a cloudy white color. Um, and then other times, like if you've got some of those bugs... They float to the top. And then you put the rice in the rice cooker, and then it's like fluffy Asian-y rice. Um, now, I realize that you wouldn't be able to see bugs. Um, and so what I've done is I've placed cocoa puffs in this rice to illustrate this point. Um, so strong grip. Oh, it's the straw kind, too. I'm going to have to do something with this straw. Huzzah. Hi. So, <laughs> so the rice 
and the Cocoa Puffs, like this is your personality, your experience, who you are, character traits, characteristics, um, habits, things that you do, right? Um, and everything is fine. It's all sitting together in there. But then when trials and persecution come along the way and they get dumped into your life, oh, I might need another hydro flask. Uh, whoa, there's ice. Yeah. Yeah, that would be wonderful. You can be my Vanna White. Um, hey Um What you'll notice is that the more water I pour in here, the Cocoa Puffs are no longer comfortable being wedged among the rice grains, and they float to the top. Does that make you have to pee a little, that sound? Um, <laughs> And the way that the refining smelting process would go would be very similar. Oh, I had, oh, well, I didn't plan this very well. Um, that's okay, guys, real life. Um, so this is I'm my own refining process. Um, the refining process, after allowing the impurities to float to the surface, they then scoop them out so that only the things that are desired are left over. If you have enough water, then you can. Um, but I didn't, so this illustration is falling apart. This is wonderful. Um, but when those trials, when those tribulations, when those things that go, come into your life that are not pleasing, have you ever noticed that it causes ugly, disgusting cocoa puffs to float to the surface? Have you ever noticed that it's when, like when your parents are being super annoying, that those ugly things in you come out? Have you ever noticed that it's when you don't get enough sleep that those words that you thought wouldn't come out of your mouth start to come out of your mouth? Have you ever noticed that it's when you uh, um, are having bad day after bad day after bad day, or when that teacher is picking on you, or when those people at work are just consistently being jerks? It's then that those ugly things inside of you float to the surface. Have you picked up on this, yeah? Now, if you don't understand the future if you don't have the anchoring point that Christmas is just around the corner, then, like, it's just meaningless. It's just pointless. Those things surface, and then you wait for the the water to dry out, and you hope that all the stuff just integrates back into the rest of your life and disappears. But if you understand the future, then you know that the whole point of the persecution, the whole point of the trials, the whole point of that mean person at work or school, the whole point of the difficult things that you go through is so that these things can float to the surface and you can be purified. And then in that process, thank you, Vanna White, you can set it down. Um, And then in that process, you can rejoice because it's through through that difficult thing that the darkness is floating to the surface for you to be healed of it. That it's through those things for those weird ego fixations of yours to come to the surface so that you can address them and deal with them. It's through the hurt and the pain and the trials and the persecution that those undesired character traits come to the surface so you can say, hey, I would like to do something about these character traits. i said he's back, just so you know. She's up here. Stacky. Um, and so, just because if we know what the future holds, then when we suffer and experience grief, like my daughter's experiencing right now, 
um, then we can know that those things actually can purify us, refine us, bring us joy in the process, even though they're difficult and not very joyful experiences. Um, and where Peter goes after this, um, he, he then talks about how all of history has been building up to this. But with, with this joy, um, it's important that we realize that it won't happen automatically that the trials will make us better people. It won't happen automatically that the difficult circumstances will make us better people, that the bullies will make us better people, that bad circumstances will make us better people. But rather, it takes intention. Um, there is a trainer. His name is C.T. Fletcher. Have you ever heard him? He, he has these videos, and he, like, he cusses a lot, so I don't recommend it. But, like, but there's something like beautiful about what he does. Like, he yells at his muscles and yells, I command you to grow, um, which is an insane thing to do like, as a human being. Um, but he's huge, dude. Like, he's, he's ripped. Um, and I think that there's something to not only going through the motions and get, having the experience of lifting weights or whatever, but putting your intentionality into the exercise. And so for us, as we go through trials, right, this is, this is our version of weightlifting. And when we go through difficult circumstances, when those ugly things in our lives surface, we can say to ourselves, say to that soul, that character, I command you to grow. Right in like an, an epic mad weight training type of voice, right? I command you to grow, because it takes the intentionality, it takes the focus in order to turn those difficult circumstances into actual growth and maturity. Does that make sense? Yeah. So he then takes like a, what seems to be a weird left turn um, to talk about prophets. And angels, He says, concerning the salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was not revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but to you. Oh, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but to you, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. What Peter's saying here is that this entire thing, like the entire story, all of the prophets, all of the people of God from before this moment have been looking forward to this. I remember the week leading up to when Endgame was released, like all of the, the, the Marvel fanatics, fanatics and even like the people who I didn't know like cared anything about Marvel, like everybody was like, this is the thing that we've been waiting for. This is the thing that all of these different movies have been tying together and weaving together to produce this one epic climax. Everybody has been looking forward to this. And Peter says to the church in Bithynia, Cappadocia, Galatia, he says to them, you're in the end game, right? Everybody has been waiting for this. Everybody has been looking forward to this, this chapter. And so this chapter that we're living in, having, like we know now the inheritance that we have. We know now the resurrection to, that we look forward to. We know now this salvation that has been brought to us, and we are getting to live in this time period where we are keenly aware of exactly what comes next. Christmas, the future, resurrection, 
goodness, joy, hope, love, peace, all of these good things being brought into the earth. And because we know that God is going to do this thing, it gives meaning to our persecution. It gives meaning to our trials. It gives meaning to our hard days. It gives meaning to the days when we don't want to get out of bed. Um, it gives meaning to the, the situations that seem too difficult to face. Because we know that it's Christmas time. That we're in the end game. That we can have hope and we look forward to this thing that is just around the corner. So that being said, um, I'm going to summarize the run-on sentence in these three points. God has prepared a future for you. This gives meaning to the present. And all of the past has been building up to this. Right? It's an organized run-on sentence that says past, present, and future all point to the work of Jesus. Right? So if God has prepared a future for us, let's be grateful to him. Let our hearts be filled with gratitude, knowing that the difficult things we experience here and now are not the end. They do not have the final word. Let's also know that our present has meaning because the things that we go through help to form our character, to change us, to make us into the people that we're meant to be. And then also, let's know the gravity, the bigness of the fact that we are in the end game. Right? Like, let's, let's give it the due attention, knowing that all of the past, that all of the prophets, all of, like, the heroes of our faith that you grew up, like, hearing their stories and stuff, all of them were like, there's something coming. I don't know exactly what it is, but I know it's going to be epic and awesome, and I'll write some poems about it. But, like, the fact that we know about this thing, and we live in this space, so let's live a life like it actually is important. Like, all of it has been building up to this. Like, all of it has been building up to what we are going to do with this thing that we've seen. So let's pray um, together and ask God to, to help us with these things. And let's close our eyes together. And I'll just walk you through um, a little bit of reflective thinking. First, I want you to consider what you think of the future. I want you to consider, do you think the future has a hope? That there's hope for you in the future? And I'm being vague um, because, yes, is there hope for your tomorrow? Is there hope for your five years from now? Is there hope a couple of decades from now? Do you feel like there's hope after retirement? Do you feel like there's hope after death? I want you to take a few moments right now just to talk to God um, silently about that future. If you feel like there's not a whole lot of hope there, talk to God about why you think that might be.
And now I want you to take a moment to think about your present. What are the difficulties, the struggles, the challenges that you face? Whether they're recurring ones on a regular basis or ones that you've just gone through or ones that you feel are just about to happen, what are the things that you struggle with in the present? I want you to take a moment to ask God what it would look like for him to convert those struggles into joy. What would it look like for you to have joy and peace in the middle of those struggles, those trials? And so, God, um, we bring our hope and our despair to you. We bring our suffering and our joy to you. We bring all of it to you and ask that you would give it meaning and gravity and help us to see the importance of the days that we are living now, these days that the prophets looked forward to. God, help us to have joy and peace in looking forward to what is to come and allow our present to be transformed into a time of meaning and growth. We love you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.